0: Welcome to Vox Vomitus, also known as Word Vomit. Hi everybody, welcome to the latest episode of Vox Vomitus. I am your host, Jennifer Ann Gordon, the author of the Kindle Award winning novel Beautiful, Frightening and Silent, as well as the Hotel series, and officially Pretty Ugly, which was released yesterday. With me, as yeah. always, is my Vox Vomitus <laughs> vixen, Allison Martin, the <laughs> author of The Bourbon Books. And today we have a legendary author with us. He is gracing us with his presence. It is Mr. Joe Lansdale. You probably know him because he's written 40 of your favorite books. He wrote Bubba Ho-Tep. He has written uh, cartoons, comic books, TV shows, movies, everything. He's won every award you've ever wanted to win yourself. And he is here with us, and we're going to be talking about his... Amazing career, and as well as his new book, Moon Lake.
1: Welcome, thank John. you for having me here. <laughs> thank you.
0: Tell our audience and our viewers a little bit about yourself.
1: Yeah, okay. I, you know, I was born in uh, Gladewater, Texas, which is about an hour and a half from here, and it's a small town of about four thousand. But we moved to a smaller town of one hundred and fifty <laughs> when I was about four, and uh, I grew up wow. there till I was in the fifth grade. And then we moved back to Gladewater because we were looking for the metropolis. And um, I yeah, my father was a mechanic. He was uh, he could not read or write. He learned later to write his name and to read a little bit. My mother was a very dedicated reader. And uh, my, my my father, like I said, was a mechanic. My, my mother did uh, sales. She used to sell World Book from door to door. And so I read almost the entire World Book because that's what was there. I think I was short, like one volume. And, and for whatever reason, why do you quit with one volume left? But I, I did. <laughs> and uh, so I and I had the big world book dictionary. And so I grew up with that. And we didn't have a, a library in Mount Enterprise at that time. They they were clever about building one when we moved just as, right about a very short time before we moved the summer before. But they had a bookmobile and there was another kid there. I, I don't even remember his name, but he didn't like to read. And so he let me choose the books that he would check out and he would give me his books too. And I would read all of them before the bookmobile came back. And uh, people across, there was a lady across the street, her name was Irmadine. I can't remember her last name, but she loaned me some Hardy boys that her kids had had before they grew up and went off. So, and my mother would pick up used books and stuff. We didn't have much money for books. So most of them were used. And and I remember people coming in and, why have you got all these books? And my mother, who was a very polite and very easygoing woman, but she was irritated at that. She said, well, yeah. we stack them up and stack them And I thought, well, yeah, that probably made more sense to a lot of those people. Readers you could not happen- possibly read them. That's
2: crazy. Oh yeah. There are a lot
1: of readers now, but comic books were the thing that really got me going. And when I was about four, I started reading uh, comic books. And um, I I learned how to read through comic books with my mother and my sister-in-law, Mary, reading to me because my brother was 17 years older than I was. And so, you you know, that way it was more like two only children. We kind of joke, we're both only child, only child. But I started reading comics and I I was so excited by them that I started trying to draw them and write the little balloons and the, you know, the stuff. And, Um, I never got anything finished, but I would write that. And then I discovered that I was probably a wizard as an artist. I was probably an outstanding, amazing artist. And then when I turned six, I was still the same artist I was when I was four. And as I got closer (laughs) to school, I graduated at all. I was still that same artist. You were a
2: wonderkind at four? Just hold on to that. Yeah. Best artist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Always remember, I got
0: like, it should, at four. That should be in your bio. Like world's yeah. greatest artist by the age of
2: four. four. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot in there, but, but well, I didn't get into my heart.
0: Yeah.
1: But well, what I found is I like the stories, and the stories appeal to me more. And I begin to grow with stories and, and the stories just became more interesting. And then, you know, I begin to, and I, I also have to give TV credit because TV was relatively new then. I was born in 1951. And by the time I was four and five years old, TV was beginning to be a thing, you know, and uh, they were starting to borrow things to put on television. So some of the things that they borrowed were old movie serials and old movies. And so that's where I first saw all the old Tarzan movies. That's where I saw uh, universal horror films and all of that stuff. And I was just a fanatic for it. And all of that led me to the source material. And, uh, you know, I started reading Edgar Rice Burroughs and Jack London and Mark Twain, et cetera, et cetera. And I wanted to be a writer early on, even though I didn't really quite understand what that was. You know, I knew that I wanted to do it. I didn't know people did it for a career because I didn't know what a career was, but I knew I wanted to do it. And then when I read Edgar Rice Burroughs, I knew I had to do it, you know, because it was just perfect oh. for a kid when I was about 10 or 11. And that got me going. And, and Classics Illustrated uh, Comics also led me to all of the books and stories they had adapted, or at least most of them. And so that, we, that's kind of why I became a writer.
0: I, you know, um, I used to it's own a bookstore. comic book store. Um, I'm a yeah. huge comic book fan, so I have to ask: okay. Who was your favorite growing up? And is that like your favorite superhero or your favorite comic? Was it Tarzan? Or I, I love Tarzan,
1: but but you know the uh, uh, Classics Illustrated uh, classic, the Tarzan. I didn't start reading those books until later. I read John Carter of Mars. It was the science fictional stuff of his. But the comics, it was probably the superhero was, was Batman. Uh, and it still is. And I've written Batman. Yes. I've worked in that field. So I'm kind we of, know. <laughs> you know, branded. I've made a full, full, full circle. And, uh, you know, I, I liked, uh, all of the DC comics in particular. And when the Marvel came along, I thought they were better written at that time, but I always preferred the DC comics. I liked the flash and I liked Batman and Superman and wonder woman and so on and so on. But, I read a lot of off channel comics too, things that aren't even around anymore, you know, and and uh, I read some of the funny animal comics. But, you know, I I was reasonably precocious. And in a very short time, I was reading novels, you know, when I was very young, you know, and and I'm sure that I didn't understand a lot of them, but I remembered a lot of them. And uh, Classics Illustrated caused me to pick those novels when I could go to Gladewater. I had a library card there, even though we lived in Mount Enterprise. And then when I went to Gladewater, I lived in that library. And uh, that was my thing. And then on Saturdays, I'd go in, read at the library all day, check out books, and then I would uh, walk uh, to the drugstore where you could buy a hamburger and stuff at the drugstore then. I'd have a hamburger. Then I'd go over next door to the show, which was right behind it. We called it the picture show, which you know, the movie, a theater. And so we would go in and I would watch the uh, serials and then I would watch the kids movie and then I would watch the two movies. Uh, One of them was usually a B-movie and shorter, but you didn't have to leave when they were over. And I'd just stay all day. And so I, I think like I learned a lot. Right. That's the, the perfect day. By doing it. Yeah, the perfect day. And then That's I'd go the home day. and then if I, I didn't get in trouble, I'd stay up and read a little bit, you know, and, and then uh, ask during if your the parents
0: Bible. knew where you were all day or was it just like
1: yeah, it was, you know, that was really kind of a safe place to be for me. And, and, and back then things seemed safer. Maybe they weren't, but we thought they were.
2: And, uh, I never had any,
1: yeah, I, I never had any trouble with it. I, and the, you know, I could walk from the library to the drugstore and then the drugstore was next door to the show. And then my mom would come pick me up or my dad would come pick me up. And sometimes after I'd seen it once, they'd make me leave. But on Saturdays, they tended to let me sit through it that entire time. Cause they would go over and visit with my aunt and, and my uncle who lived in, in Gladewater. And then we would go home. We lived out on the other side of what they called Hell's Half Mile, which was honky tonks and, and uh, you know, just a rough, rough place. And we lived right next door to a liquor store, so they had a an interesting clientele. And you know, it changed places, but at that time that's where that's where I lived. We lived in different spots.
2: But it sounds um, like the movie theater that. was your babysitter and I kinda love that. It's like all right, yeah, it, we'll watch you. It's fine.
1: Yeah, the, the library was my morning babysitter. As soon mm-hmm. as it opened, I went in there. And then, uh, you know, the drugstore was a brief stop. And then uh, the theater was my, my babysitter all day on Saturday. And obviously, during school nights, I didn't get to do that. But during the summer, I just lived in the theater. And I'd go watch the same movie over and over and over because it was air-conditioned for one.
2: Mm-hmm. And we
1: didn't have air conditioning. There was some air conditioning in some stores, but that wasn't a time when air conditioning was everywhere. We had what they called a swamp cooler, and that's how we, we cooled ourselves off.
2: Oh, what's a, a swamp cool. cooler? They're
1: not good. They were better than anything then because we'd spray the back of them and you had a small room. It, it was fine as long as you were kind of in front of it. You know? <laughs> It wasn't so bad. I've
0: had to put but like, um, the just like man bowls of ice cubes in front of fans. Yeah, fans are, yeah sure. and I'm too. like, that works.
1: <laughs> well, we used to go buy ice by the block because you know you didn't have many in the uh, you'd have the little ice tray and it would go up there maybe two ice trays. And when we had like family over, we'd go buy a block of ice and they would cut a block of ice yeah. and they'd give it to you. You'd take an ice pick and you'd chop it up. And everybody, would have the Kool Aid and the the tea and. What have you, and along with pimento cheese sandwiches, oh, and then sometimes like the kids get have
2: so <laughs> I'm like,
0: oh no! Yeah. Um
1: I thought a mayonnaise so- sandwich was good back then. I didn't know it was just oh. essentially lard. Or- mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I still have just mayonnaise sandwiches, but it is good. It's good. Um, so, it was so yeah, when did you? You knew you wanted to be a writer at a very young age. At what point Girl. did you realize? that you were straying towards darker fiction and stranger fiction?
1: Well, you know, I've, I've always been someone who was attracted to horror and science fiction, and usually the science fiction was more of a dark type. Not always. Uh, and and um, I like crime. You know, I remember "The Edge of Night" when I was a kid was a soap opera, which came from the radio show, I think. And uh, Henry Sleezer, who was a crime writer, wrote those. And so I, I grew up with those when I was home in the summer with my mom. I would watch those after "Captain Kangaroo." You know that that came on a little later. And so I had my dancing bear, and you know all that stuff, and the cartoons, and then the Tarzan serial, and and then suddenly I'm I'm you know listening. To, uh, or watching The Edge of Night. And when I was growing up and I was very young, we still listened to the radio. And the radio was on its last legs as far as those sort of things. But most of those shows, like the soap operas and things, they came from the radio. And people don't realize it, but shows like, uh, The Shadow and Suspense were still on when I was a kid. I faintly remember them. And I'm sure they must have affected me because I've always been like a sponge. And especially when I was <laughs> younger, I just absorbed all this stuff. And, uh, because the people would used to be, how do you know all that stuff about dinosaurs and astronomy and all that? And, again, I was another m- incredible scientist until I was 11 or so. And then I <laughs> ran out <a> of wood. <laughs> you place, had more,
0: more years as a yeah, scientist. In, uh, but you I was interested in
1: everything. I still am. I'm, You know, I studied anthropology and archaeology. I never graduated. But that was a big interest. And, you know, I, I think that that's uh, what most writers are like, at least I, I think the ones I respect and admire. Are the ones that have had some life experience and have had some, uh, ex- you know, broader interest. Because a lot of the writers I talk to, if you go back four, four years, they're out. They haven't read anything before that. And yeah. when we were growing up, we read all the old stuff because that was available. You know, for one thing, yeah. and second I mean, of all, it was still respected way, yeah. and revered. Yeah, and there wasn't anybody telling you this is what you should read because mm-hmm. this is correct mm-hmm. or this is for you know for children or whatever. You just read. And, uh, you know, and I I read the new stuff and I read uh, the old stuff and I've always was looking for something else, you know, and I I think that it was a constant ravenous hunger for information and story and I've still got it, you know, and uh, it's changed somewhat, it's altered somewhat, but it's still the same in in the broader sense.
2: Well, and I hear what you're saying about, so you were looking into being a scientist for a while, my kind of, which way am I going to pivot in the career path was, lawyer or zoologist but i talk too much to be a zoologist out in the field because i make all the monkeys mad but i still have yeah. a love for that and so some of my stuff works in that and that's that's where my love of science fiction goes because i actually like the science and i'm not always good at it because i'm about yeah, I do. I do i'm about a 15 year old scientist you know <laughs> right, way uh, too much math i think i think
1: i was more yeah that's what killed me math it's i think math. i was it's more science oriented i'd like sort of science fiction that was fantasy. I never leaned towards, I'm going to make people mad, but I never liked Tolkien. I couldn't read it. And, uh, I read the Hobbit and, and almost had to do it at gunpoint. I wanted to do it to know what was going on. I read all kinds of things that, that I, I wanted to understand the fields of fantasy and science fiction and horror and crime and mainstream and literary. So I read Hemingway one day and, and maybe, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs, the next, and Edgar Allan Poe one day, and Richard Matheson, the next, and Ray Bradbury, you know, and, and then I might read the Scarlet Pimpernail, you know. I, <laughs> I I thought that nobody was telling me what to do, and I wasn't going to school for to be a writer. When I went to college, I, I, I think I took four years to get 60 hours, and, and I had to quit because I didn't have the money, and I started selling my writing. I was doing what I really wanted to do, and I studied those things to keep from studying writing because some of the writing courses I had had are English courses. I never had a writing course. I had English courses. One of them told me when I wrote a story, he said, "I hope you're never going to be a writer because this is too fantastic." Oh, and oh uh, my gosh! Know, and I that wish just you I just still thought. Yeah, I'll show comment. you. Oh, yeah, I'll show you. And oh, then uh, oh. uh, I, but anthropology and stuff was kind of geared me over to the side where I didn't, I can think About other things, and I, I still get mad when people call chimpanzees monkeys. So you can see I yes. had quite a impact. That's wrong.
2: I wrote a children's story that will never be published that says I'm not a monkey's uncle and it goes through all the great apes, including bonobos, <laughs> because I get really mad. And <laughs> yeah. they're, like, they're not monkeys, okay? But yeah, I'm you're, safe. You're safe though. You, I, we're not going to encourage any more bad mouthing of Tolkien, but he's not watching. So you can't offend him. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're safe on that run, But I will say yeah. I love yeah. The Lord well,
1: of the Rings. I British think I offend a lot of readers.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I, like, I, I, I,
1: I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I just was never drawn to high fantasy much. I liked yeah. fantasy, but I liked uh, Richard Matheson and Bradbury. And, and there's some things in between. You know, I like some Robert E. Howard, at least yeah. in the earlier days. I think there came a point when I said, you know what? I think I know how this works. And I love it. I love Howard because Howard represents to me a Texan who was isolated like I was and who decided I'm going to do this and did. And I did the same thing, except I was a happier person than that guy. (laughs) Uh, You know, his stories were very limited to me after a certain point. I still go back and reread them from time to time. I still have a love affair with him and Burroughs, but there are certain, I think there are certain writers at certain points in your life that will hold your heart forever. And there are some who impress you that you'll forget within a week. You know, it's hard to always know what, what touches the spine, you know. But for me, they, you know, Edgar Allan Poe and and uh, uh, you know later Raymond Chandler. But Edgar Allan Poe and Burroughs and and people like that were really important to me. And then when I discovered Raymond Chandler and Hammett and Kane, and then I realized the world was bigger than horror and science fiction and fantasy. And I had always read adventure novels like Jack London and things like that. And I realized one day, why do I have to choose? -hmm. I don't have to choose, and And I'm like, like
2: yeah. In your writing, you don't, and I I think one thing when you said you're a happy person that comes across so clearly in your writing. When I started reading Moon Lake, I was I started putting down some of the, the lines that just made me crack up, and I had to stop because I was never going to get through the book doing that. Where you describe the landlady as having her hair looking like it was colored by strawberry jello and beet juice, and I just laughed so hard on that because it was such <laughs> a perfect description. And you knew it was it wasn't exactly a put down, but it probably wasn't a compliment. No <laughs> one's line, trying yeah. like a fruit salad. But yeah. so many of the lines yeah. are just here. You are dealing with. Some really suspicious, suspect things, some macabre issues, and then meanwhile he's talking about putting a rhinoceros in footy pajamas. That juxtaposition (laughs) just sings to me. And it it, gets you also get stuff like that when you have Elvis and JFK and a mummy. Yes, I mean (laughs) I'm down (laughs) to
0: Bubba Hotep forever.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and Bruce Campbell in the film he just nailed it. You know him and Ossie, they just nailed
0: when when i heard the premise of baba hotep i thought to myself there's never been a movie that is more being written specifically for me cuz <clears throat> i have always had a strange fascination with jfk and elvis and mummies yeah. so when i heard this yeah. i was like what is this magical film i couldn't wait to see yes. it and i've <laughs> seen it so many times and i would like, i was like shouting it for like years i'm like it is the mo- the best representation of a movie that i would write myself like what if Elvis <laughs> yeah. J.F.K. fought a mummy? Yeah, the, the, that's the, the funny thing about that is
1: that comes from the fact that, that my sister-in-law uh, graduated high school with Elvis in, in, in Memphis, you know. At, uh, what? King really? And, yeah, because like I said, they're 17 Amazing. years roughly older than I am in that area. And uh, so my brother met Elvis through her. And so when he first met Elvis, <laughs> he was working at a theater showing people to their seats with a flashlight. That's what Elvis was. He wasn't Elvis yet. He was Elvis, her schoolmate. But my brother said, he said, when he met him, he said, boy, that guy's got something. I don't know what it is, but he's got something. Because my brother That's was trying tarisma. to record records. My brother did music and stuff like that. He had a band and he wanted to record. And he made some attempts at Sun Records. And he went into one place. He finally decided he might get into radio. And he went to one place and was sitting and talking to this other guy who was trying to get into uh, radio too. And it was a school for that. For people with voices that were good for radio and things like that, and they got to talking, and that guy was Johnny Cash oh. <laughs> and that's before he was Johnny Cash and then weirdly wow. uh, and his son John Carter Cash, who I think is just a hell of a good guy, is my daughter's uh producer for a couple of her cds you know for her music, and so it was kind of like a a big full circle in a way, and we went over to Glaywater, where I grew up, right down the road. They had a radio station, and Elvis and and Johnny Cash and Jerry Lee Lewis and Ray Price and numerous, you know, uh people played there live. And I was just living down the road listening to it on the radio. But to you me, you could have gone.
0: You could have crashed. Ah, that I didn't part. know. Uh,
1: couldn't, I was too small. <laughs>
0: I was, well, they would have let was, like, it five or six kid you know, in there. The <laughs> Come on. Yeah,
1: and there was a—you know—we lived on a hill a, with a with a honky tonk below us and a a drive-in theater across from us, and then down the road a little bit was that radio station, and that radio station became. Um, you know, a place where you can record music and it, it's, it does producing of music. And my daughter did two songs there. So she could stand in the room where Elvis, re- you know, played live. They didn't record there. They played live. And then on the wall, they have the old soundboard where Jerry Lee Lewis scratched his name into it. You know, <laughs> And, uh, so it's kind of become like a little historical site in Gladewater. And it, I can't remember the call letters of the, uh, Uh, the radio show, but Tom Perryman was the guy there. and Tom Perryman in the history of music is, is very, very important, especially rock and roll music and early country music of that era. Anyway, country music of that era, because, um, sun records and, uh, uh, the Louisiana Hayride and Gladewater were the most important places where Elvis and and cash and then Uh, cash wrote, I Walk the line in Gladewater. Ah! And so, Yeah, in one of the backstage where he was supposed to go on, and the and the the little hotel or motel where Elvis stayed is still there. It's been turned into an apartment uh, complex, but they still have his little card where he signed in in the room and everything. So it's got this big uh, rockabilly history that uh, you know made it fun for her to record there, and it made me fun to made it fun for me to think they were just down the road from me, and I was too little to realize it.
2: Well, I'm just so, thinking summer vacation road trip, I'm going to Glee. <laughs> I know. Like what a you great You need to go. to go. You need to go. Yeah, yeah. What a great So
0: so there's that's where you get your Elvis inspiration. Where did the JFK? Well, I was
1: a uh, I was a kid when he was assassinated and, and that was just like an incredible impact on all of us, you know. And and I grew up on mummy films and, and I, I was always fascinated with those things. And I had this title in the back of my mind called Bubba Hotep. And uh, it was my plan to, to use it. Oh, and, I, and I might not I might add before I forget it, in Gladewater, they have a giant bookstore like Larry McMurtry used to have that takes up an entire couple of blocks. And uh, if you ever go to Gladewater, you can shop for crazy for books, you know. And uh, it's I it's, think and I'm and moving, that I, was I going, hear that. And, I was up. and the cozy theater I used to go to is still there, but it's no longer open. I think it's for sale. I was tempted.
2: Oh. <laughs> how much do we need okay. to gather to buy I know, this movie
0: theater?
1: I'm not for sure. How much? How much?
0: Sure. Like we could yeah. turn that into like a film house and artist and writers retreat. And I would so never get, get out, out of the bookstore. I would just I be happily
2: it. lost <laughs> looking for the books.
0: Say <laughs> <laughs> so that could be a good retirement plan for your family. Owning it, a theater, yeah, maybe you know your be. daughter can move in from like accounting to
1: right. <laughs> Right. Well, she's got her career a as, a, as a singer and a writer and yeah. uh, PR, and she did. She used to do some modeling. She's been in films. I mean, she's. I don't know what else she could add to what she's doing. My, my son is a, is a uh, a stockbroker, and he's written two screenplays that have been filmed. He's got two under option. He and I co wrote a novel. He's written a short story. and He's written a lot of comics. So I mean, we're all busy.
0: You have incredible yep. DNA.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my wife actually wrote a few th- stories with me, but she is really the uh, the manager and the person who made this all work. And, uh, you know, I think about that every day that, you know, you, you see us up front, but here is the real brains behind the operation. She kept us from running into each other, more or less. And and. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I've always felt that I was the luckiest person in the world in that respect. And I met her when we were 21 and we've been together ever since. And I'm 70 in a couple of months. So, you know,
2: wow. Wow. That's amazing. But I also just love hearing everybody's involved and everybody's doing all these things, but also working together rather than wow. competing against wow. each other or yeah. trying to one up each other. But right. I mean, you, your daughter sounds like she's what's the, what's a girl version of Jack of all a Jackie of all trades a Jacqueline, a Jacqueline <laughs> of all trades or, <laughs> or do you just go and and of steal?
1: all trade yeah yeah you know, my brother also does some publishing he used to write for comics he wrote for the Last Incarnation of Tales from the Crypt and uh, oh. my uh, my niece uh, Pam uh, Dunklin also Pam Lansdale she w- had a TV show called Lone Star Justice which because she was a detective for the sheriff's department and when she retired. They they put that show together with her and her, the people, the, her, the sheriff that she worked for and her partner. And they did a series of um, you know, episodes that were true crime on, on the I.D. channel. And so and there's other stuff like that. Most of the the other people kind of popped up later. I think I started the fire and everybody else started throwing some wood on it. I'm glad.
0: I like is, it. Is is there a way that we could become members of your family? Like, yeah. How this, is this an is it an open adoption? If you adopt you
1: don't really need to pay We've already adopted Hansi Oppenheimer, so we've kind of got our hands full.
0: Okay. <laughs> like Allison and I can kind of manage ourselves, but if we could just be maybe <laughs> there like, you go. Like foster kids, adopt foster, like foster, like long distance foster kids of the Lansdale family. Long lost cousins,
2: perhaps. Oh, we could be cousins. Well, I was I was laughing today because my my maiden name is Keen, and we were commenting on Carolyn Keen, which I know growing up when I learned that that was a pseudonym and there was no real such person. So I'm like, so I'm not related to anybody cool or famous. And I was like, no. No, sorry. There's yeah. there's no such
1: person. And your well, dad, Batman, there's, there's a teen. You get to be at least a comic book character's well. Mm.
2: I'll take that. Yeah, and, I'll take and it. And Batman,
0: so my father, who's also a mechanic, was a mechanic, was named Jim Gordon. So that's why I thought oh. Batman growing up because I was just like, as a redhead, I just was assumed I was Batgirl.
2: My girl, name yeah, definitely yeah.
0: Barbara Gordon. They just named me the wrong yeah. name. Um, And then my mother's name is Yvonne and Yvonne Craig played Batgirl Mm -hmm. in the show. So there was this like six degrees of Batman. So it took me Uh. a really long time to figure out that like, I wasn't actually Batgirl.
2: (laughs) No. So
0: like my, or like you wanted to be an attorney, you wanted to be a scientist. I'm like, I want to be Batgirl.
2: Also valid. Also valid. Batman changed my life.
1: Yeah. Batman changed my life in many ways. Uh, It, it was one of the major influences of me to be a writer, but also he was interested in martial arts, which I've done for 58 years now. You know, I'm uh, I'm the uh, I'm the grandmaster of the Shinchuan martial arts system. And uh, I'm the, you know, the guy that's passing it on now. I and mean, I still teach. I still teach a, a private class every Wednesday, except this one for obvious reasons. Oh my gosh. Uh, But you're
0: missing your class yeah. for us. Yeah, yeah. Sorry and, uh, to all those uh, yeah. students. I know. We'll sorry to are superheroes. <laughs> Don't come after us. Was, uh, not the reason My
1: mom made me a Batman costume because I was going to be a crime fighter in Mount Enterprise. And uh, one night I woke up and found out the next morning the Mount Enterprise Bank had been robbed. And nobody had sent a bat signal or woke me up. And, and you oh, know, I had it. my own little oh, costume. I had my ears. And, and I looked more kind of like a, an angry German shepherd. You know, mm-hmm. my little suit. Yeah.
2: The and, ears are pretty uh, but close. But I, I realized
1: so. then I wasn't going to be a crime fighter because nobody was mm-hmm. letting me know what's going on. So that was I don't a like
0: that. That, is the, that would have been your police commissioner's fault. Your, yeah. like whoever the Jim Gordon yes. is of your town.
1: Yes. He's the yes. one in
0: charge of that bat
2: signal. and It's not on you. I don't even know That's if
1: they had any me. police there. I, I don't remember back then. <laughs> I think that was... I think the That's sheriff probably. kind of covered that, that area. They do... I <laughs> well, think now yeah. they've got like one policeman that gives tickets and stuff. But I... I don't think there was anything like that. Oh. And, so you're and that saying it's, it's, it's a town times, that's
0: perfect for a bank robbery
2: because it is...
1: Yeah, it was. It was robbed several times.
2: Well, and that so. was something even in... So in Moon Lake, that was something that was interesting because here you've got this town. It's like, well, you got the sheriff department and you've got a, a police department and who's kind of in charge? Nah, no one's really sure. And is anybody doing anything about clearly corrupt things going on? Meh. Nah, no one seems to be all that concerned. <laughs> I, that's what is what did you said there was someone in your family named pam who is police related Pamela, Were they, yeah, all concerned? Did, they read, did they read moon lake and it say was, this is a bad representation of
1: our no, no no she read, she read moon lake and, was, and she was a very fine detective and uh she solved a lot of cases I'm, I'm really proud of pam and and then she was a private detective for a little while after that and then uh then she got into the this film thing but she's she's done a, a ton of other things besides that but that's that's kind of the stuff that, you know, stands out, at least to most people. Oh, and Chad, uh, she's someone that I, that I. Yeah, can you hey, see Chad, the comment? Thank you. Yeah, 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 he's yeah, saying, yeah.
2: Love yeah. Moon Lake.
1: Great book. Fun. She liked the book, too. She, she you know, we know that there's been corruption, but we know there's been places that aren't corrupt. It's not when you write crime fiction, you're not picking the best attributes of human beings. That's that's right. why it's got. <laughs> that's not. Time. fun.
0: I mean even when you so write it does, horror it doesn't
1: mean like, they don't exist but it means you're writing something else.
0: Yeah. So what when you're writing do you know like do you plot everything out or are you just like discovering it as you're writing?
1: I discover it as I go. You know, yes. I, I think my subconscious is doing it at night because I, I get up every morning and I'm ready. And I have a minimum set of pages that I'm set to do, three to five. And then a lot of times I'll get 10, 15. And I polish them as I go. I don't do drafts. I don't do multiple yep, drafts. Oh, except, okay. except on the computer, you know, I'm probably doing all this, this stuff every day. And then when I get through, I do one polish. And there's been a novel or story here and there that's a little bit more difficult than another. So I had to work harder, but generally once I get to the end, it's 95 to 98% there. And then when just rereading it, I get the rest of it. And that works for me because I found that I used to try to do all these different drafts, and I know people swear by it, and they like to feel good about themselves. Oh, I, just I do it, and I don't feel good about worried. myself. <laughs> no, no, I don't either. I felt awful. I, I think I felt anxious and worried, and and I couldn't keep up with which draft was what and how it. And I just said, you know what, that ain't working for me. And so I I, I just wrote carefully, and I wrote as well as I could, which you know can vary from time to time, I'm sure. And I discovered that the muse. Doesn't really. I'm the muse, and the rest of that's just bull. Because I, <laughs> I wrote just as well on the days when I thought I was inspired, on the, then and uh, I mean just as well on the days I thought I wasn't inspired as those when I was inspired. It just how ha- I was just having a better time on those days, you know. You're just having doing it. My, yeah, my friend and a very good writer, Stephen Graham Jones, once said oh, they were talking gosh. about writer's block, and and Stephen said, "Do do, do ditch diggers get ditch digger block?" He said, you know, they get up and they, they go to work. And that's what I do. I don't get words on blocked. pages. That's tough to do. Yeah. Okay, Some so days might be harder than others. Huh?
2: No, I was just going to say, so you say your goal is like three to five pages per day. What does that roughly yeah. translate to word count? Because people draft differently, have different size font and white yeah, space. What's I, that about? I use
1: big, I use big font. And, and so it can make <laughs> me easier to get my three to five pages. Triple space. I do 20 point. I do 20 point.
2: 20 point. Well... I would need yeah. 20 point if I took these. I would need 50 point if I didn't have these on all the time.
1: Well, you know, I have these glasses and I keep these as security, but I had my cataracts <laughs> removed. I got 20, 20 vision, but nice. I can't, I still keep these around cause I'm scared, you know, oh, but I, yeah. I, I realize I, I can read whatever, but I, I do that. But I often get six, seven pages, sometimes 10. So if I set out to get three to five, I'm a hero every day. And yeah. then some days I'm more of a hero. And then if I have <laughs> a bad day, on those days when I did really good, I'm pretty much even. But I don't yeah, have so you, any bad day. Yeah, You
2: just keep going with it. Well, and I, I love oh, yeah, that you yeah. polish as you go, because I feel like you may be yeah. the first person we've talked to who does that. And that's how I generally go. And I know they say, just yeah. stop stop messing with it. Come back to it. But I can't. I can't just leave it if I'm like, no. this isn't right yet. Well, and then by the time I'm done, like it's
1: that Yeah, I might write that three to five pages straight out. But when I get through, I'm going to go back and tamper with it. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to quit for the day, which I never work over three hours a day. Most of the time, two, three. And I still get that same number of pages, you know. So I'm averaging 25, 35 pages a week on just an average week. And on other weeks, well, I might get 10 pages a day. You know, I might get 70 pages. I work seven days a week.
2: Well, and to clarify, and you've also put out fifty novels, so that explains how you do novels. that. Plus, but that's not counting well, teleplays, novellas, short stories, comics. Is, yeah, someone else was drawing those. Though, admit it, that was not you.
1: Short pieces were probably over four hundred. You know, counting people will say short stories all the time, but that's I'm mean, I'm articles, essays, you know, and all the short stories and novellas and things like that. So. You're, you're looking at, at, at a lot of short pieces. It might even be closer to, to 500, you know, if you count all that. And I've done a lot of scripts that, you know, I've been paid for, for Ridley Scott and people like that, that John Wells and things that didn't get made, but I got paid, you know. That's
0: really all awesome uh, that matters. I a a
1: TV show that did get made on the second season. And uh, I've done Batman, the animated series. I did, you know, four of those. I did a Superman uh i did a a batman movie called Son of Batman and I've done so many different things you know the jonah hagg short and and then a lot of my stuff has been done like for love death and robots and you know they did the adaptation so i you know i've got i've got all these different things i've done a play i've done two, two one act plays i want to do a two act i got a musical in the works and what? uh you know Sorry. and i'm I'm planning on directing a film here soon if if ever, oh. everything goes well and it may not
0: Joe. Well, I, I hope it does. I hope it does, too. I want to hear the musical. I, I know. Well, like, the musical, I
1: uh, yeah, uh, Judy Pancoast, uh wrote the uh, music for it, for I think, for, except for one song my daughter wrote. But uh, she also did what they call the book, meaning yeah. that, uh, you know, it's a playbook. And it's a screenplay my son wrote because it was filmed in a real low-budget uh, screenplay, kind of uh, done through the university here, Stephen F. Austin State University, where I was writer in residence for a while and uh so he he did the screenplay got made and then um you know she took his screenplay and it, and his screenplay was based on a short story i wrote and so then she did the the book and we're going to do a podcast i hope first and then we're going to try to put it on stage as a musical
2: So, so it's like a podcast that. like a radio drama yeah very nice yeah. so okay I music, have what does a writer in residence do i talk Okay, so like a lecturing writer in residence.
1: Why, yeah, well, just like any other teacher. I mean, I had graduate students, and I had, uh, you know, at some places I had less than graduate students. And, uh, oh, Tom was saying he saw a version of the musical in New Hampshire. We did a stage reading, and uh, which me? was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was like we were taking notes and finding out what, what, what's up, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, Judy had a lot to do with that, you know. and <laughs> She's the hero of we need to get on the this. mailing
0: list. I know. What yeah. theater did you do this in? In New Hampshire. I don't remember.
1: Where we did it. I don't, I don't honestly remember. Maybe Tom, Thomas, you're still watching.
0: That. Tell us. I know. I'm just like, yeah. how did I miss yeah. this happening?
1: He said, no, I've said my piece. I've gone home. Goodbye.
0: That's no, fine. Yeah. That's <laughs> all I had to say. I just want to say, I've seen this. Um, so do you have a favorite type of work you do? Like, do you like, Or is it whatever you're working on at the time? Like, do you prefer shorter pieces, novels in a series, a standalone? I like short
1: stories better than anything. And I probably would do probably a lot more of them if, um, you know, I, I felt like I would make as much money as doing the other. But I don't write the novels just for money, but I write them for money, too, if you know what I mean. I make a living doing this, and I can't keep doing it if I don't. But I love novels, too. It's just I prefer short stories. Novels are second. I think after that it's it's uh, martial arts and then it, then it's uh, uh Where know, does
0: Batman? It's nice
1: films that. and comics. Well, that's next. You know, films <laughs> and comics and all that. Because I've also written uh, a lot of comics. You know, and and uh, that that's a dream come true. I finished an Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan novel that he left unfinished. He had about eighty pages, and I finished it. I did a Batman novel. I did a Batman uh, young adult or or really young uh, version of called Terror on the High Skies. The novel was Captured by the Engines. Um, you know, so I've done a lot of that kind of stuff. I did the Lone Ranger comics, Jonah Hex comics with Tim Truman, who's, you know, my, my favorite yes, artist did. to work with. I did Conan. You know, my Conan had a sense of humor, which kind of upset some of the uh, diehards.
0: <laughs> the that diehard kind of, Conan that, fans do not Yeah, that. Him you know,
1: I, I really, you know, I, Howard was Howard. He did his thing, and I wanted to give him his due, and I wanted to be you know, I, I wouldn't be doing this without Howard. I, I and, and as a writer, you know, he had a lot to do with me being a writer, especially being a Texan. And an introduction he wrote about that to Wolf's Head had more impact on me than his stories. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I had fun with it, but I wasn't going to try to pretend I was Howard or Edgar Rice Burroughs. I, but I tried to get the Hatbox Theater, he says.
0: That is where I performed for five years. Was okay, that where there you were doing you go. stuff for dance. That's where I was doing my burlesque shows. How about I that? cannot believe. I'm so upset. <laughs> the box dropped the drop the. I know. I'm going to call them out. No, I'm not going to do it. We lot. we I took all the later. notes they, they the gave us and, to
1: let you know. and, and Judy re- revised, you know, revised it some here and there. It played really well, you know. We didn't have all just necessarily the actors that would be in the show and whatever, but we had all the singing and we had uh, the zombies were great. They, their, their performances were just fantastic. There they were did.
2: zombies. <laughs> yeah. So the, the,
1: uh, <laughs> yeah, Christmas of that the that was right. and you know, they had, uh, um, sort of, um, rock and roll and, uh, all kinds of music. It's got all kinds of music in it. Uh, the and, uh,
2: zombies. That's what I'm going to. Well, yeah. Judy wrote the stuff that I think
1: it was somewhat marginally operatic, you know? And, uh, I think that's really cool. And, uh, it's good stuff. I look forward to it. We've we've been going on with this for years because it's it's it has to be a secondary thing so we can raise the money. But I think the podcast, which looks like it's on the horizon, I hope, and then that will be followed, I hope, by the musical, and uh, we'll see what goes from there.
2: Um, I want
0: tickets. I want, I want a ticket. to go uh, it, again. That checks off the rest mm-hmm. of the boxes that zombie. I mean, that mummy, Elvis, and JFK didn't check off. It's like yeah.
2: musical. You just said rock music. If it's a rock opera with zombies, I am there.
0: Well, some of it
1: sounds rock-like and some of it is, is, is really more, um, I, I guess what you think of as stage musical approaches to music. And it's, it's a variety. I mean, it really is a mixed bag. I think when we first started doing it when, and, you know, Keith who wrote the screenplay and me and, and a friend of ours, Tim Bryant, who is also a musician and, um, you know, uh, we, we were and brad Mall, who starred who was one of the stars in the film he was in um general hospital for 20 years you gonna
0: say why was, do uh, i know that uh, name oh general dr tony
1: dr tony <laughs> <Dr. Toney. laughs> i know <Yeah>. and he, <laughs> yeah. he started he that with he sang Bobby. one of the numbers and he's a great singer so we sat around the table with uh, uh you know judy singing <laughs> and, and, and brad singing because he lives in nacogdoches and teaches film you know and uh and so Tim was there to listen to music. I was there to comment, but Judy was saying, "I don't know." You know, we're mixing all kinds of music. I said, "Believe me, this Do works." It. Do it. Yeah, we did. We did. Oh, and she gosh. did a great job.
0: I, um, I'm really geeked up about this more than probably I've ever been like excited about anything in my life. Because again, you, then you just checked off the General Hospital box and I didn't even expect it to <laughs> yeah. be popping up in there. <laughs> I'm like, wow, my childhood yeah. and my teen years. Brad used to and be with
1: some music group. I can't remember. He was with them. It, it, it's you know it's, it's something like the new christie minstrels it's not that but it's you know that kind of maybe it was that anyway i don't know but he was with a group like that and he you know he's been in a lot of other shows and he's a very and he's done a lot of stuff and i remember and he him directed a, a couple really, times really at small, right he directed a small film uh just a couple of years ago that that i don't think enough people have seen and it's just terrific and uh the guy's multi-talented you know and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's here in Nacogdoches.
0: It's amazing. I'm sorry. I'm just like I have to like pick my jaw up off the yeah. floor. Bring it back it's up so well, excited.
1: Tony, if you remember, he was the really good-looking doctor.
0: I. He do was the guy. That- and <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do remember. And I, I, I was just about to start like rattling off General Hospital plots, but I'm not. No, that's
2: okay. That. I'm just no, like, no, and I was. I was going to say. Lucy went- said. Oh, he's the good looking doctor. I would challenge anyone to show me a general hospital or any soap opera doctor where it isn't the good looking right. doctor because they're all right. dope, like, a of a of dreamy, that, all right. doctor sexy, <laughs> Dr. Handsome. It's kind of a requirement like med school and yeah. supermodel both. Yeah. Yeah, because that's exactly, exactly. Like who's becoming doctors.
0: Mm-hmm. It's it just is. like the really yes. attractive yes. people of the mm-hmm. world.
1: Um, and, and, you know, Brad was, Brad had a part in the. They were going to refilm uh, Christmas with the Dead with more money as Christmas with the Damned. And they took the original yeah. script and my son wrote it, uh, a little r- rewrote some of it. But he also was going to direct it and he was going to do it more like he had envisioned it when he wrote it. And Brad was going to be in it and COVID came. And so that got killed. Oh, and, and that's what like happened COVID. with the one I was going to direct. We were working on the one I was going to direct and COVID kicked that out. Peter Dinklage, who's still going to do The Thicket <gasps> next year, but at that time he'd had options on it and the COVID killed it twice, you know? So,
2: What was Peter Dinklage going to do other than probably direct
1: My novel, The Thicket.
2: That's amazing. So he was I just, supposed I to do it, uh, last over year over was,
1: it's, it's scheduled for next year sometime. I, th- I think early, but I, I can't say for sure what they're going to do. But they re-optioned it, so I know that they intend to
0: to They're do that. And then I've,
1: I've got some stuff I've written that's coming out in film, but I can't talk about it right now.
2: So I hate that. So pesky. I think that's every time we've gotten anybody who's got something in the works for film, it's always, I've got something and that is all I can tell you is that it might yeah. exist and you might eventually yeah. Yeah. hear about and it. And then sometimes not. we
1: grill people. Yeah. I spent the money.
2: You spent the money. You're like, I don't care what happens next so long as I well, have a check went check to the I bank. Care. And you guys do something well, with it maybe later. I would love to see
1: right. it. When done. <laughs> well, they did They did Cold in July, and I was very happy with I'm Cold in July. <laughs> they did the Happen Leonard TV series. I was happy with that. I was happy with Bubba. I was happy with Incident on and Off a of Mountain Road on Showtime, Master of Horror, uh, the Batman stuff I did. So I've had a really and, – and the uh, and the Love, Death, and Robots that they adapted. I've had a really good run. So I'm due for a big stinker.
2: <laughs> no. No. Well, first off, it's, it's not Moon Lake. And second, I just wanted to throw out there to properly prepare it. Last night, I did watch an episode of Batman, the animated series, Perchance to Dream. Because when I told my husband that we were interviewing you, my husband is not the biggest reader, despite the fact that he actually teaches writing. But when I told him you'd written for Batman, the animated series, he got super excited, started looking up which episodes. Some of his favorite are ones you've written. So I said, "Okay, well, do you want to watch one? Guess I want to watch one. So we watched it last night. Cool, cool. That's a fun one. He was he was excited I, about that.
1: I got to work right. with Roddy McDowell without ever meeting him because he was uh, the <laughs> hatter. He was, and, you he know, was Elizabeth the Montgomery. Yeah, and Elizabeth Montgomery was in, uh, you know, Showdown, and and she used to be on Bewitched, of course. Yes. And so that was cool. And I think David Warner was in, in that episode. I, I the other, so many the different. Voice-
2: there was one more voice I recognized, and I had to pull out my phone immediately and look at it. I'm like, why do I know this voice? And it was Diana Mulder, who was also on Star Trek The Next Generation as Dr. Pulaski. Okay. I'm like, I knew I knew it. Nerd alert. <laughs> I, I hear Star Trek voices, and I'm like, I know this person. Hold on. I would have but, gotten the Elizabeth yeah. Montgomery, though. You would have yeah. gotten Elizabeth Montgomery. But oh, I think right. she was also in a Lizzie
0: Borden TV movie in the 70s. She eighties. was.
1: She was. Yes. And that was when they first. I know my did creepy new theory. England stuff. Right. That's where they first did that theory on film where she did the murder's nude so yes. that the blood washed off very quickly and she was able to get dressed and not have blood on. That was at least 30. Very
2: pragmatic. Right. In a weird
1: yes.
0: fun fact, at that Hatbox Theater where you did your stage reading, I did a Lizzie Borden burlesque number.
2: Only <laughs> you would do Lizzie Bur- Borden. With burlesque. your hatchet? Did you have your hatchet?
0: There was a hatchet. I wasn't Lizzie. I was the maid that she might have had a relationship uh, with. It was. Right, you know, powerful theater. <laughs> it was a burlesque Lizzie Board, and it was our Halloween show. It, sounds it did get fun a standing today. ovation. <laughs> People were like, "That made me cry, weirdly."
2: <laughs> like <laughs> they did not expect when they walked in Good. the theater at night.
0: Good, at least they're not like crying. Like,
2: oh no, my eyes.
0: <laughs> That's
1: my pit bull. You hear he's barking. I or keep something.
0: hearing a little bark going on, and I keep thinking it's
2: my dog. And that like, dog is mine. clearly bigger than your dog. That dog would eat your it's dog.
1: It's Nicky. Yeah, it's Nikki. He, he she- gets chased yeah. up and drive by rabbits, you know, <laughs> so he's not a...
0: <laughs> I love pit bull. He just
1: tries to act. He pretends to be one. He plays yeah. a pit bull. In- Most in TV, do.
0: Yeah. Most do. But really, they are all... Yeah. they like lovers. Little babies. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, they like to get up close
0: and hug, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe, you have been an absolute delight. I I hate to cut this off, but we are out of time. I understand. I appreciate <laughs> you having. Me. Um, uh, we really appreciate that you gave thank up you your know. martial arts class for us tonight, <laughs> Joe. Thank you. I hope. I uh, hope it was okay. Yeah, look, were we were we no, okay? They're okay <laughs> yeah, they're okay with it.
1: They're okay with. It. Yeah, I, I once in a while they know I have to do it because of my. You,
0: you my have career. to be. Yeah, yeah you have And to I used to teach Lanzo. 5 days
1: a week, you know. I taught 5 days a week and now I have other people who do that and I teach uh, just the private classes last 3 years or so. Oh,
0: uh, that's amazing. So, so yeah. um Allison and I will probably plan a vacation to where you are. We can talk mm-hmm. about the formal adoption proceedings then. That's right. Uh, Find us in that bookstore right. somewhere. I'll we'll be on the, the, the science fiction store. shelves, just I'll be in horror. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. You can go to Gladewater, that giant bookstore they have yeah, That's where we want. Oh. Aly- Alyssa, thank you Oh,
2: Yeah, Elisa Aww. says Joe, you are so fascinating to listen to Thank you for sharing your stories with us I could have listened to you for hours Oh my gosh Well, Alyssa, well, I- clearly we're going to have to sign you up For one of his, his martial arts classes And then you get to listen to him as much as you want <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. Joe,
2: I hope you come back um, Anytime
0: Anytime, really um, y- You're always welcome If you ever just say, like, I want to talk to those two weird girls again mm-hmm. um, We're here <laughs> for you we would love that. Um, so Y'all are a lot of Joe. fun. I
1: appreciate it.
0: <laughs> thank yeah. you, Joe. Thank um, you. I also want to say thank you to Roman Saraton, our producer. Thank you to Pam Stack, our executive producer. Thank you to everybody at the Global Authors on the Air Radio Network. Um, thank you to everybody who watches our show every week. We are the number one show, the number one video show on the Global Authors on the Air Radio Network. So uh, without without amazing guests like Joe and fans like everybody who's watching, Uh that wouldn't be a thing, but it is. So thank you. Stay tuned next week when we have Carter Wilson, uh the author of Dead Husband and also the woman in Apartment 2A or the the body in Apartment 2A. I know I'm getting like that. that. Something with 2A, I know I'm getting that wrong. But uh Carter will be I think there's a murder. Murder in 2A. It's that. So thank you everyone. And this has Thank been you. a copywritten podcast on the Global Authors on Their Air radio network. And we will see
2: you all next week.